Greetings, my name is Anthony Fort. I'm a songwriter and composer from the UK, and I created this podcast to stimulate a deeper discussion of the creative process. I have a PhD in music theory from Columbia University in New York, and I've taught composition at the University of Cambridge. And one thing I've learned over the years is that when it comes to being creative, technical knowledge is not enough. When we're being creative, we are using our minds in a different way. And it's that different way of using our mind that I'm interested in exploring. So today I'm going to be reflecting on performance and performance preparation. Uh, this is not a coincidence uh, because I do in fact have a performance coming up on March 26th in London. Um, I'm going to be performing a selection of my songs at the Moustache Bar in Dalston. Um, and I'm going to be accompanied by on vocals by a superb singer by the name of Vito Pugliese. And uh, for those interested in attending, I will be leaving a link to the ticketing site in the show notes. Uh, you can also find that link um, in the bio of uh, my Instagram page, Anthony Fort Music. Um, it would be great to see some of you there. Uh, so, as with so many things I discuss on this podcast, the angle that I take on performance is heavily influenced by the particular journey that my musical life has taken. I grew up as a classical musician and unconsciously inherited particular viewpoints and ideologies uh, that are or were current in the classical musical environment at the time. Um, then later, in around my mid-twenties, I started to become consciously aware of some of those assumptions and started to challenge some of them, uh, such that today I think my approach to many things um, is kind of a hybrid of classical and non-classical attitudes. And the idea that I had inherited from my classical upbringing um, when it comes to performance is that there's a strong distinction to be made between composers and performers. Uh, now, just as a side note, this idea has not always pervaded classical music. Um, in other times in its history, the distinction between composer and performer was less clear. And I'm not going to get into that now, although it is, it is interesting. Um, the point for now is that the education I received always presented composition as the creative bit and performance as the realisation of a creative work. Um, now, another thing about coming to composition from a classical background is that compositions are things that you write down on paper. Uh, so whereas today I work out my songs by recording snippets of them until I'm happy and then recording, you know, a snippet of the whole thing. Um, before, I would work out my compositions by writing them down. And I would sort of finish, by finishing a composition would mean that I finished a sheet of paper that has the information that I want written down on it. Now, writing things down does have its, have its advantages. Um, it can, you know, really facilitate sort of clarity of thought um, in, in several ways. And I'll maybe get into that more in another week. Um, however, the thing about writing things down when you're doing something creative is that there are some things that are easy to write down and other things that are very hard to write down, if not impossible to write down. And as a result of this, what can happen is that you can start to place more importance on those things which you can write down and less importance on those things which you can't. And by extension, what can happen is that what we think of as musical composition 
only includes those bits that we could write down and we think of what we couldn't write down as sort of all the other stuff that you just put in performance. Now, as it happens, classical music notation is basically a graph. On the horizontal axis or the x-axis, you have time. And on the vertical axis or y-axis, you have note height, whether it's a low note or a high note. So just as in a graph, as you move from left to right, the dots on the page mark when a note happens and whether that note is a high note or a low note. So music notation is really good at capturing that kind of information because that's what it's designed to do. What it's less good at is capturing basically all the other information about the sound. Uh, for example, um, music notation can easily include information about the volume of the music being played and the technical word for that is the dynamics. But this information is not technically part of the graph. Instead, the volume or dynamics are expressed by using labels and just attaching those labels to the graph. Um, the same is true when it comes to choosing which instruments are actually playing at what point. Now, it makes a huge difference what instruments are playing, but all that very inform important information uh, looks on the page like less important information because it's just like a label that you attach to the graph. So there's sort of a hierarchy here. Um, now then there's all the auditory information that is too difficult to capture in notation. Uh, but a lot of that information can be the difference between a performance that sounds good and a performance that sounds bad. You know, for example, the tone of voice in a singer that cannot really be expressed in words or notation. Then you've got all those really subtle micro adjustments that uh, you know make Frank Sinatra, Frank Sinatra. Again, you, that those things can't really be captured in notation or, or not in a practical way. So that, that those all get left out. Um, and so as a result of all this, composers who work from notation can easily fall into a trap where they unconsciously establish what I call a hierarchy of musical components, placing great emphasis on how the notes and the rhythms are organized, and barely any emphasis on the actual sound quality of what they're producing. And this is the attitude that I took for many years and still kind of fundamentally deep down take today, for better or worse. Um, to this day, the moment that I feel my job as a composer is really done, that's, it's the moment when I finished drafting the melody, the harmony and the lyrics. That, that's the point where I feel the most job satisfaction. Um, but if I'm honest with myself, at that moment, the song will often not actually sound very good. Um, which is an interesting thought. So like I, I can feel very satisfied with how everything is structured, but I know that if I played it to someone else, they, they would not particularly like it. Um, and for me, it has taken a very long time to accept this because in order to accept this, I had to give up this hard distinction I was making between composition and performance. And I'd, I'd harboured that distinction for a very long time. 
Um, it was a hard belief to give up because it meant accepting that I was not as good at composing as I like to think that I was. Um, my ego has always cared more about being a good composer than being a good performer. And in making this change of attitude, I had to accept that weaknesses uh, that I had attributed to myself as a performer were actually sort of creative weaknesses, creative limitations. Uh, they're situations when I didn't have creative answers for. Um, one musician who helped me understand that the distinction between performer and composer is actually very blurred uh, was Nina Simone. So uh, Nina Simone could literally perform any song and give it weight and depth. Um, I truly believe she could play anything and convince you that the song itself, quote unquote, is a powerful one. And in noticing this, I realized that the notion of the song itself is actually a very vague one and a very problematic one, really. So um, now I'm in a situation where I am beginning to perform my songs uh, more in public. And I have to take all these other aspects of the song far more seriously than before. Um, I face two kinds of challenge, although they are essentially the same challenge, just coming at it from different angles. Um, with some of the songs I will be performing, um, I never made a finished recording of them. Um, these were my early songs, and I, I just uploaded them to YouTube as soon as I finished the draft. And in these, I just performed them on an old, um, bad quality, malfunctioning electric keyboard. Um, and it didn't bother me at all, really, and I, and I sing along uh, with the keyboard. Um, and with the other more recent songs, I have worked them into more finished recordings in which I overlaid lots of vocal tracks and used lots of synthesized instruments. Um, and I'm going to have none of those things available to me in a live setting. Um, as I'm just going to have a keyboard and, and myself on vocals and, and then another vocalist. So in both cases, then, the creative challenge is in figuring out how to render these songs effectively with a piano and two vocalists. Uh, now, I have a rehearsal coming up with my vocal partner in a couple of days, and I'm now considering how we're going to tackle this challenge. Um, conceptually, it seems likely that this will be a very different creative process to the kinds of creative process that I feel most at home with. Um, and that's exciting because the room for growth and insight is enormous. Um, I truly don't know what course it will take, but um, as a game right now, I'm going to just sort of imagine and make a guess as to how we might go about tackling this. So here's one mindset uh, that I might experiment with. Uh, so far, I have viewed the composer as primary and the performer as secondary. Uh, in this formulation, the performer's job is simply to enact the intentions of the composer. The performer's job is to sort of glorify the composer. But what if I flipped that relationship round so that it's the composer's job to glorify and magnify the strengths of the performer? Uh, think of it this way. Imagine a particular singer with particular strengths and certain things that they do particularly well. Maybe it's the composer's job 
to write music that will maximise the opportunity for that singer to create those beautiful sounds. Uh, now, thinking of that, it would certainly be really interesting to start the entire creative process from that perspective, uh, which is not what I normally do. Um, but as it is, I already have the blueprints for the songs quite firmly established. But within that constraint, it might be a good idea to imagine that from now on, the quote-unquote songs themselves are less important than the people performing them. And that I want to use the rehearsal time to hunt for as many opportunities for those beautiful singular vocal moments as I possibly can. Um, this will likely involve a process of what I call combing through, in which we proceed phrase by phrase until our inner compass is satisfied that we have located something that is really satisfying to listen to, uh, rather than something that, say, another songwriter would hear and recognise as, say, good craft, but not good sound. I've got to train myself to not be satisfied with that perspective anymore. Um, this same approach will also be necessary uh, in improving, you know, exactly what I'm doing on the piano. So again, that's an area that I've been quite loose with myself on. And I think, again, I will need to apply the combing through process to really see if I can take it up a level. Um, in theory, relying on a gut reaction, as we're doing here, you know, our sense, is this good now? That should always lead to a positive outcome. Although it's hard to predict how long the process will take, and it's, so it's hard to know whether we will get there in time for this particular performance. Um, I liken this kind of approach to the metaphorical monkey on a typewriter. Uh, the monkey churns out random letters, and if left for long enough, will eventually produce a piece of Shakespeare. Um, that's what we're like. We're just trying things out until we find something that works. But unlike the monkey, uh, we can recognise the Shakespeare when we see it. And maybe that makes the it means that we don't need an infinite stretch of time to to find it, but who knows? Um, for this process to work most effectively, I need to be willing to let the song change if it needs to, and I'm curious to see a um, will I be able to let go, and b if I do let go, how much change could happen. I don't know the answer to either of those, and I'm sort of curious to see. Uh, my hunch is that I just need one success, however small. If we can create one moment where we really believe that the sound is a beautiful one, then I will know that it's possible, and that will give me the belief uh, that we can find solutions for every song in the act. I guess uh, one thing I can tell myself is that if Nina Simone was performing these songs, they would sound amazing. And that's pretty cool to think. And uh, the same goes for your songs as well. So if you're feeling down about them, um, this week, just think of Nina. Okay, thank you very much for listening. Have a great week.